No other book has so profoundly impacted so many lives as the Bible. Welcome back to Simply the Bible, the through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. Today we look at God's universal prohibition against eating blood and why the blood is so sacred. The role of blood separates Judaism and Christianity from every other religion. We hope you'll join us now as Pastor Daryl continues in Leviticus chapter 17 on Simply the Bible. Today we come to one of the most important verses in the Old Testament because it reveals the basis for how we can be justified before God. We pick it up in Leviticus chapter 17. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, to his sons, and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Whatever man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or lamb or goat in the camp, or who kills it outside the camp, and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. To the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices which they offer in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, to the priest, and offer them as peace offerings to the Lord. The Israelites didn't eat much meat while they were in the wilderness, because it was too costly to slaughter their animals. That is why they would crave the meat pots of Egypt. When they did kill an animal for meat, they would be guilty of bloodshed if they didn't do it the prescribed way. This shows that God cares about life, even the life of animals. While after the flood, God permitted man to eat meat, under the law, he prescribed the method for how to kill the animals. The prohibition was against killing a clean animal, that is an ox, a lamb, or a goat, any place other than the tabernacle. The reason was that there was a constant temptation to sacrifice to other gods. For the Israelites had learned idolatry while living in Egypt. The Lord spoke of this in Ezekiel chapter 20, as he recalled when he brought them out of Egypt. Then I said to them, Each of you throw away the abominations which are before his eyes, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and would not obey me. They did not all cast away the abominations which were before their eyes, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Therefore, God was in the law helping his children to keep themselves from sin by limiting their options. They could slaughter one of their clean animals, but they had to bring it to the tabernacle and present it as a peace offering to the Lord. This had the added benefit of sanctifying every meal and making it a cause of thanksgiving. God wants to be included in our meal times. When Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, he blessed it and broke it. When we follow his example, then we acknowledge that everything we have comes from God. And that seats God at our dinner table. Not to mention that I've been offered food in some cultures that I didn't dare eat until I asked God to bless it. 
I love it when I'm in a restaurant and I see people holding hands and asking God's blessing on their meal. Finally, by bringing their sacrifices to the tabernacle, they shared it not only with the Lord, but also with the priest. The meal sharing was a time of joyful celebration and provision for those who gave themselves to minister to the Lord and to his people. Verse 6, And the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and burn the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now, although this was a peace offering, every time that sacrificial blood was shed and sprinkled on the altar, it spoke of the forgiveness of sins that only comes by blood. Thus, their meal was a reminder of the peace that they had with God through the blood of atonement. Verse 7, They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons after whom they have played the harlot. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. Now that seems shocking, doesn't it? I mean, who in their right mind would want to sacrifice to demons? Devil worshipers? The Hebrew word translated demons here relates to a goat idol. The Egyptians worshipped the goat god Mendes. It also relates to a goat demon. These were spirit beings thought to inhabit goats in desolate areas, sort of like the demons that begged Jesus to inhabit the swine. Either way, this verse reveals the diabolical workings of idolatry in any form. God calls it harlotry or spiritual adultery because they were forsaking God as their husband. As they offered their sacrifices to idols, they were really worshiping demons. Now, this commandment to only sacrifice their clean animals at the tabernacle was modified when they entered the promised land. Then they would be so spread out that it would be impractical for them to travel to Jerusalem every time they slaughtered an ox, lamb, or goat. We are told about this in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 20 through 22. But as long as they were in the camp in the wilderness, there was no excuse for them not bringing their animal to the tabernacle. Verse 8, Also you shall say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from among his people. Unlike the peace offerings, the burnt offerings were always to be brought to the tabernacle since the entire animal belonged to God and they didn't keep any of it as meat for themselves. Offering a burnt offering anywhere other than the tabernacle would appear as idolatry. And the Bible tells us to flee every appearance of evil. Today, when it comes to marriage, many couples want to try before they buy. They think that they will play house before they get married. I can't tell you how many couples I've spoken with who admit that they are living together, but then say they aren't, quote, doing anything, unquote. If they are a couple, I find that very hard to believe. But even if somehow they manage to refrain from fornication and remain sexually pure, it sure looks like evil. The truth is we don't live to ourselves. The choices we make matter to God and to others. Our sins grieve the Holy Spirit, and they grieve others. 
Therefore, we should flee every appearance of evil and seek to live above reproach and give no ground for the enemy to spread slander against the church. Verse 10, And whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. This is not the first time in Leviticus where God told them not to eat blood. The prohibition goes back to God's covenant with Noah. But here we are given the reason why. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, No one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. Now, physiologically, God was way ahead of the scientists. It wasn't until 1628 AD that a physician named Dr. William Harvey described completely and in detail the systematic circulation and properties of blood being pumped to the brain and body by the heart. Today, we know that what God said is true. The life is in the blood. No blood, no life. Verse 11 is very, very important to our understanding of how we can be justified before God. God dwells in unapproachable light and in perfect holiness. As sinful creatures, we cannot come near him without atonement. And there is no atonement apart from that which God has provided through the blood. When Peter Marshall, chaplain of the United States Senate in the 1940s, first arrived in Washington, D.C. to pastor the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church, an elderly lady greeted him saying, I do so hope you won't talk too much about the blood as our previous pastor did. I promise I won't talk too much about the blood, he replied, because it is impossible to talk too much about the blood. I will say personally that the longer I have walked with the Lord, the more I have become convinced that the power is in the blood. And I am so thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for my sins to wash me clean. As the hymn goes, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Because the life is in the blood, God has given the blood of Jesus to save our life. The wages of sin is death, but God has given us life by substituting the life of Jesus for our lives. That is why it is never about you being good enough. You could never be good enough. If you could be, then Christ died in vain. But since all your sins were paid for with his blood, then you can have complete confidence before God. So does that mean you can go on living in sin? Listen to what the author of Hebrews says to those who sin willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? The atoning blood is a most wonderful thing. We dare not consider it a common thing by regarding sin in our heart and refusing to get rid of it. Verse 13. 
Whatever man of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all flesh, its blood sustains its life. If you're hunting and you killed an animal, then you were to immediately pour out its blood on the ground and cover it with dirt, thus burying it. Therefore I say to the children of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is in its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. For this reason the blood was sacred, and still is. For in Acts 15 they determined that Gentile believers should not eat things strangled or eat blood. God has forever set the blood apart as the life that gives us eternal life. Verse 15, and every person who eats what died naturally or what was torn by beasts, whether he is a native of your own country or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his body, then he shall bear his guilt. If you found an animal that died by natural causes or was killed by another animal, then it was considered unclean. If you ate it, then the required washings were no doubt for sterilization because of a potential bacterial infection. God cares about what we eat and that we glorify him in it. I'd like to close with the words of the Apostle Paul. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You've been listening to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. They meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at Pepperidge Elementary School in Boise. Also, to listen to any of Pastor Daryl's teachings or to find out more about the church, go to their website at calvarytv.org. We'd really love to hear from you. You can also text us at 208-314-3377 with your questions or comments. What we do in the bedroom doesn't affect anyone but ourselves, right? Not so. There are a variety of sexual practices that God said would defile the land. Tomorrow we'll examine these. Please be warned, this is for mature audiences only. We hope you will prayerfully join us as we continue through Leviticus on Simply the Bible. Simply the Bible.